Hello, and welcome to Fortune's Wheelhouse, a podcast about esoterics and the tarot. I'm Susie Chang, and my co-host is Mel Moline. The first 78 episodes of Fortune's Wheelhouse offer a card-by-card breakdown of occult correspondences and symbolism in the tarot. If you're a new listener, you may want to start there. In this season, we've been leveling up and examining each correspondence system on its own. First, we looked at the seven traditional planets in tarot, and then at the numbers one through ten in tarot. And with this set of episodes, we're doing a deep dive into each of the 12 signs of the zodiac in tarot. Remember, if you're diving in at random and one of us says something utterly opaque, we have lots of resources on our website to help with some of the more obscure esoteric doctrines that we deal in. That website is www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. There are also a couple of other places where you can check in with us online. You can visit Mel at tabulamundi.com and you can visit me at tsusanchang.com. You can also join over 650 smart, nice, and most importantly, like-minded friends at the Fortune's Wheelhouse Academy group on Facebook. As you know, each episode, we have a giveaway. For our last episode on the sign of Capricorn, our winner gets the choice of A, a print of Mel's devil card from Tabula Mundi, or B, an arcana case in the esoteric fabric known as Solomon's Black. Our winner was Michelle from Oregon. Congratulations, Michelle. If you're not Michelle, you can still buy Mel's prints at her shop, www.tarocart.com. And my Arcana cases are on Etsy at www.etsy.com slash shop slash tarotista or on my website, tsusanchang.com. In this week's episode, we're talking about Aquarius, a sign of problem-solving, and navigating, and hope. Mel is offering our winner her own spectacular Pharos tarot. It's named after the lighthouse at Pharos, which for centuries stood as a beacon of hope. As always, all Fortune's Wheelhouse patrons at the $3 level or higher are automatically entered in the drawing. If you're not a patron and you would like to be, you can sign up at www.patreon.com slash Fortune's Wheelhouse. And now, here's this week's episode. everybody. We are here today to talk about the sign of Aquarius and its application in esoteric tarot. It's kind of a nice place for us to be because uh, you and I both have Aquarius placements. You've got your uh, moon and rising in Aquarius. And Mars. And Mars, that's right. Yeah, in the 12th, Yeah, moon, Mars, and rising with Mars conjunct the ascendant. So there's a lot of Aquarius. uh, Plus, I have a lot of um, Uranus activations in my chart. So 
I feel very close to the Aquarian energy. And I have my moon in Aquarius in the third decan. I think your stuff is in the first and second decans. Yeah, both. Mm-hmm. I have moon yep. in the middle decan and uh, rising in the first decan and yeah. Mars. Yeah, so we, we, we have a really close feel for this energy. My moon is at 27 degrees, which is actually the exact same moon in the Sibley chart of the United States. I feel shit <laughs> when, yeah. when stuff happens. Well, you know, to the I country. think my um, what's the rising of the U.S. I think it's conjunct my sun, so yeah, I feel that too. <laughs> yeah, totally. There's definitely an Aquarian energy about this country. I think. All right, so the cards that we are going to cover are the star for Aquarius, the five, six, and seven of swords, the first, second, and third decans of Aquarius, otherwise known as defeat as science or earned success, I think it is. Is that yep. right? Yep. And uh, futility or, or unstable, unstable effort. effort. And then uh, we've got the court cards would be the Knight or Prince of Swords. And uh, the Shadow Deccan, the Seven of Swords, falls into the domain of the Knight or King of Cups. We'll also be talking kind of secondarily about the world or universe card as Saturn, the ruler of Aquarius, traditionally, and the fool as both, I guess, elemental air, and I think some people associate him with Uranus, who is the modern ruler of yeah, Aquarius. There's, yeah, mm-hmm. I can see that. Yeah, it's not something we use much, but it's kind of out there. And then we've got uh, the polarity. It is Aquarius is a day or positive or yang sign. The elemental triplicity is of air. The motor quadruplicity is fixed, and as we said, the ruler is Saturn. We also have the modern ruler of Uranus, as previously mentioned, and the sun is in detriment because it is in rulership in Leo, the opposite sign on the zodiacal axis, which is interesting. You have this sort of sun-Saturn, you know, sun is the center of the universe, Saturn is the outer fringes thing going on. Yeah, Similar to what we talked about in Capricorn Cancer. The Leo Aquarius axis is really interesting. The, you know, the connections. Um, yeah. Between the two. I mean, all of the polarities are really interesting um, sign wise, but especially here, I think. I agree. There's a lot going on. So shall we just sort of talk a little bit about Aquarius first, like we usually do, I guess? Sure. You know, Aquarius is the water bearer and the... Greek word for Aquarius is hydrokos, um, which just means pouring out water. And it's funny, a lot of people kind of mistakenly think that Aquarius is a water sign because of the name. Yeah, but it's the waters of the, uh, you know, we've talked about this in the, the star card mm-hmm. episode, you know, it's, there's there's waters of the sky too, you know, the, the Milky Way, the mm-hmm. Celestial Way, the ships yeah. you know spaceships you know <laughs> the, the water the water metaphor as uh an ethereal sky journey mm-hmm. every time you talk about aquarius there are water metaphors throughout it even though we're talking about the waters of the air you just can't get away from it in, you as even well as look at the you know the symbol for aquarius mm-hmm. it's looks like two waves that's actually an egyptian hieroglyph for water but there's mm-hmm. air waves too you know there's uh, all sorts of waveforms that aren't exactly. water and i think aquarius has themes of all of that stuff exactly as well as being intimately tied to the pisces constellation of the fishes you know which is watery 
Yeah, the constellation is actually pouring its water into Pisces and that whole area of the zodiac is known as the waters or the sea. It's got Pisces, mm-hmm. it's got the dolphin, it's got the whale, it's got uh, you know, it's yeah. <laughs> all these water watery constellations in that area. Yeah. The sea goat Capricorn is, you know, around there too, you know. Yeah, it's cool. The Motto for Aquarius is, I know, and if you've ever met one, (laughs) (laughs) you know, my son is, son is Aquarius. He's always been a knighter prince of swords to me with his fencing sword, but literally. married two Aquarians. (laughs) Yes, exactly. His first full sentence was, I want to do what I want to (laughs) do. They know, you know, you can't tell them anything. It's important to remember that as, you know, idealistic and high-minded they are, they're also f- very inflexible and stubborn at times. It's the, they, yes, it's they fixed are air. a fixed sign. <laughs> that's you know, right. A fixed sign ruled by Saturn. Yeah, it's true. And that that Saturn rulership is interesting. I think I think it's hard sometimes if people are well versed in the modern sort of interpretation and rulership of Aquarius to kind of get their heads around the Saturn rulership. But, you know, one, I think the best metaphor is the one that Austin uses, Austin Kopic, of Saturn being the wall and Capricorn's everything inside of it and Aquarius is everything outside of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I could see that. It's the perspective to see from the outside I everything think that could the, be changed. Yeah, the, the, the Capricorn Aquarius thing as being form and reform. Oh, I like that a lot. Yeah, you never had a system that Aquarius couldn't do better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's really interesting too. The modern rulership of Uranus and you know the classical Saturn. It's you, you have these themes of like realism versus idealism. You know, yeah. traditional and conventional versus unconventional and eccentric. They, they could be described as uh, rigid nonconformists. <laughs> yes. Yes, I think that's right. It's like, you know, I don't like the system I've inherited, but I'm going to design a new one and you will conform to it. (laughs) (laughs) But it's also interesting because, you know, when you think about the sort of Capricorn Aquarius transition, it reminds you of the, you know, the myths of Kronos, the myths of Saturn, and how there's all of the confinement within the earth or within the womb, but then also breaking out of it which seems like more of an Aquarian tendency, the the overturning of the old order for the new order, as well as, you know, sort of looking back to just the function of Saturn as a sort of end of one year, beginning of a next um, function that we saw in Capricorn. So it's really interesting, too, that um, Saturn's association with time and Aquarius has a fascination or an obsession with the concept of the time machine i've noticed a a meme i really like is uh, that one where the uh, protester is holding up a sign and it says what do we want time travel when do we want it it's irrelevant (laughs) i think of that guy holding that sign as an aquarius oh that's great (laughs) one thing that is interesting about aquarius is that a lot of astrologers are associated with aquarius have it mm-hmm. in prominent places Definitely. in their charts, which is kind of obvious to us as tarot readers who associate the star <laughs> with Aquarius. But uh, but it's also just something that archetypally seems to happen, those who explore the outer reaches of space. 
Mm-hmm. It's a time when the days are getting longer in the northern hemisphere. I guess it includes in bulk. Yep, cross, cross quarter, quarter. Mm-hmm. holiday between winter solstice and the spring equinox. One thing that maybe we should talk about a little bit is the idea of the age of Aquarius, you know, which kind of arose in the 60s, you know, as astrology sort of dealt with the idea of moving into, I guess, I think that's based on the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction, isn't it? I, you know, I was just, I was just thinking that this upcoming Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in Aquarius might well be the harbinger of the true age of Aquarius upon us. Yeah. Hey guys, this is Susie. I'm just doing a little annotation in post here. Um, So we were talking about the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in Aquarius, which is indeed coming up, and that's a 200-year cycle. The start of the age of Aquarius is something that kind of refers to this 26,000-year cycle having to do with the precession of the zodiac where there's a shift in the constellations so that the spring equinox, which used to start in Aries, uh, shifted back into Pisces and is shifting back into Aquarius now. And actually that axial precession is what accounts for the difference between the tropical zodiac we tend to use here in the West and the sidereal zodiac, which is used more in, for example, Indian astrology. But it's not really a hard and fast date we can pin down, so it's something that's kind of ongoing, the arrival of the age of Aquarius. All right, back to the show. During the 60s or early 70s, really, when people were talking about the age of Aquarius, you know, they kind of talked about it as an age of harmony, you know, as an age of peace, which again, are, you know, more sort of related to the modern conception of Aquarius as, you know, utopian reform. Yeah, there's definitely themes of equality, Mm -hmm. brotherhood and sisterhood, you know, humanitarian instincts. Society, and that's also associated with kind of the alphabet system, you know, of the 11th house being associated with Aquarius, which is something we don't do as much, but I think that's Friends and friendships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Aquarians are funny in that they they refer to everyone as their friend. You know, even their enemy is their friend. Their you know everyone everyone's their friend. It's it's a big word for Aquarians. Very much friends, and not necessarily you know as opposed to intimate relationships. You know. Yeah, they're known for kind of being distant, and and that makes Mm -hmm. sense. You know, with the star card, it's out the far reaches. It's Saturn at the outer limits. It's this 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 big overarching distant sky you know that yeah it's really hard to get close to yeah a coolness a distance to their thinking and a willingness to be just different a willingness sure. and comfort to be real different <laughs> yeah they don't bat an eyelash at your differences either i mean they yeah. have plenty yeah. they want to be you know nonconformist and different but what's one of the things that's i like best about Aquarians, I know, is that they will not bat an eyelash at your differences. You know, yes, you can do like, some crazy stuff, and they'll just be like, "Oh, okay." Yeah, you want to wear your fuzzy bathrobe at the opera? You go for it. Exactly, <laughs> and I often do. They're they're also known for you know not just their eccentricity, but also for true genius, you yes. know, uh, visionary, this, the visionary qualities that sees some really future oriented things and comes up with new ideas and original ways of thinking that solves problems. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, 
it's it's said that I read the statistic that seventy percent of the people in the Hall of Fame are are either Sun or Rising Aquarians. Oh no shit, really? Wow. Yeah, because they're really known for inventiveness and for you know being able to look at things you know in this very out of the box different yeah. way. You know, a broad outlook uh, mm-hmm. that that takes mm-hmm. it all in. Even and and that's even per- personality wise, like they're like the uh, kind of absent minded professor at types like you'll think they're not paying attention they're you know they're reading a book and they're doing this and they're doing that and you think they'll, yeah. they'll repeat yeah, back yeah. to you exactly what you said <laughs> when it seemed like they weren't listening right <laughs> they're right, taking exactly. it all in they are one of the so-called human or humane signs all the air signs plus virgo so there is that orientation towards sort of like the larger benefit of humankind thing especially I, I in aquarius the, this uh this saying which i think is funny but kind of true um it, the aquarians probably came up with the slogan <laughs> i love humanity it's people i can't stand <laughs> yeah. uh, it said the aquarian fights best with his hat he puts it on and he leaves <laughs> i see Aqu- the aquarius as a really uh pathic energy they pick up info through the air, through osmosis, just by, you know, somehow through magical means without mm-hmm. really trying. You know, they get a lot of information through telepathic That's channels. interesting because, you know, it's always said that technological innovations don't really come from one person. They all kind of bubble up all around the world all at the same time. Yeah, That's a very Aquarian thing, I think, just sort of like that sort of uh, invisible connection between minds. On a personal level, it happens to me and my husband all the time. Like, no. we'll just be walking along through the woods and one of us will say this random thing, a propos <laughs> of nothing, that has nothing to do with anything, and it will mm-hmm. be what the other one was just about to say or we're thinking. And it, it, you know what I mean? It just Real random up. stuff or, you know, start humming a song <laughs> and the other one's like, hey, that song was stuck in my head, you know? It's yeah. Like, we do that all the time because, you know, we both have a lot of Aquarius in our charts and we're just constantly communicating through the air. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Something that uh, I think Chris Brennan said was that uh, Jung, Carl Jung, had Saturn in Aquarius on the Ascendant. Not only did he have that sort of outsider's view of the way humanity works, but, you know, that understanding of the collective unconscious and yeah. archetypes. And I think actually, you know, I think of the Internet itself as a very Aquarian thing, you know, that, that which connects us, you know, invisibly, right. tangibly. Through the... Mm-hmm airwaves or through magical yeah <laughs> through magical something <laughs> yeah there's that diffuse energy but it's something that you also see in pisces but more on the sort of emotional level you know the pisces famous for no boundaries kind of a thing you know because they just you you talk to a pisces and they know exactly what you're feeling but this is something hmm. else this is something that's sort of like more on the level of ideas right and, um, insights that seem to come out of nowhere. It is really interesting, too, just the position of Aquarius, you know, coming right before Pisces that, I, you know, you mentioned Young in the collective unconscious. Mm. I think of that as being kind of a Piscean thing. Absolutely. But Aquarius yeah. being right next to it and outside of it, instead of being immersed in it and unsure of what's real and what's not real, Aquarius is detached and looking at it from the outside and really mm-hmm. able to see what going on in the collective unconscious yeah like you know stars dawning in the sea of the sky you know yeah yeah no i would actually completely agree that you know the collective unconscious feels like a pisces kind of a thing 
But the ability to perceive that and to build a framework around it seems very Aquarian. Yeah. So, the star. We've, of course, covered it in immense detail in the star episode, which y'all should check out if you want a deep dive. But a few things about it are kind of just worth reviewing, I think. One thing I'd I've been thinking about more since those original 78 episodes is the connection between the star and the fool, you know, as its elemental major. You know, if you think about the fool as being that elemental air quest to move from not knowing anything, from ignorance to knowledge, Mm. you can kind of think of justice or adjustment, the star and the lovers as moving through the stages of that journey as well, in a way. So like the justice or adjustment card, I think of as like, you know, learning the rules for the first time, how things work. I think of the star card as a navigational card, how to actually solve the problem using those rules you just learned, Mm -hmm. or even, you know, to get around the problem or to get around the rules even and then the lover's card as gemini as you know accepting the consequences of that because once you make a choice like that other options fall away so you know i see i see that as kind of a sequence and there's real themes i think you know in the star archetype of going away and coming back the uh of going far away like the in the anonymous that we've kind of talked about as being associated with the star and then coming back transformed in some way so the fool card being this the fool's journey from ignorance to knowledge like you said but it's also the journey from knowledge back to ignorance in a sense mm, mm, to like to, going back to, to the beginning yeah to mm-hmm. to gain mm-hmm. knowledge but then to transcend it and and rule your thought or realize that thought is as much of an illusion as everything else you know yeah yeah and it's true that you know at the end of any every journey you're in a new place and you are beginning all over again you are starting from zero again it, it's kind of interesting to think of The world card, which is associated with Saturn, is again that metaphor of inside and outside the walls. You know, when you look at the world or universe card, you can think of it as that wreath as being a separating boundary. It having this connection with the devil through Capricorn, but also with the star through Aquarius. And, you Mm. know, when you look at the devil and the star, there's such a contrast in the sense of sort of captivity versus freedom yeah, in those two cards. We mostly talk about the devil as a negative card and the star as a positive card, but it's also possible to think of it, you know, not necessarily in those terms. I mean, the, the, the star can be very remote and distant, and it's possible, you know, as the devil to master the game and to really succeed under very rigid rules. It's like yeah. desire and distance mm-hmm. or even desire versus hope and idealism or something like that. Another thing that uh, I, I remember sort of thinking I don't know, when I was young, is the difference between hope and expectation. You know, expectation, you form a a sort of a rigid rule to yourself about what should be versus hope being what might be, right? Mm. And to me, there's something about that in the tension between the two. 
you know, Capricorn, <laughs> the, your boss, the devil, is always like talking about meeting expectations. Interesting, the common theme of knowledge, though. Yeah, yeah. Between the two cards. Absolutely. And if you think of the world as the end of the fool's journey, that kind of makes sense. I don't know whether I talked about this in the star episode originally, but the symbolism of the star card, you know, in Rider-Waite-Smith and in the Marseille decks is a bit odd, really. I mean, nobody knows exactly where it comes from, but there is this 16th century woodcut that, that might be the source of it. Well, you know, tarot actually started earlier, but in the versions that we see in like the 15th century Italian tarot, it doesn't really look as much like uh, the star we've come to know and love. The 16th century image called the Crepuscolo della Mattina, the twilight of the morning, and it shows this angelic figure pouring out water from one hand, and then there's a torch in the other hand. And there's a swallow in there as a symbol of resurrection. So that's thought to be where that, you know, swallow or that bird on the tree uh, seems to have come from. Swallows, of course, being associated with Venus, that is also associated with this. You know, Wait really thought of this card as being associated with Bina, with the great mother. You know, um, he said, glorious in undying beauty, pouring on to the waters of the soul some part and measure of her priceless possession, which is truth. So this mm. idea that, you know, you're pouring down this endless resource of the way things truly are, you know, Bina being understanding into these vessels, which are or are not able to contain it. I think that both Waite and Crowley really found the star incredibly inspirational. I mean, of course, you know, Crowley wrote such beautiful prose yeah. about the star card. The entire first chapter of the Book of the Law yeah, spoken from the star goddess's point of view. The whole blue-lidded daughter of sunset, isn't that, you know, the climax yes. of the Gnostic Mass? Yeah, it's part of the chapter yeah. one of the Book of the Law. There's something about this card that draws people out of themselves and puts them in a place of hope and looking beyond what is to what might be. Yeah. I think the goddess Nuit is described as all possibility. Mm -hmm. Our lady of the stars, right? Oh, and isn't yeah. her feast uh, also in this period? Y yeah, it coincides with Imbolc. Mm -hmm. Right. The feast of stars, right, pretty right, much right. the same day. So I guess maybe before we talk about the minors, maybe we can talk about the Kabbalah. And, and that means we have two different segments to do because we have hey as the Hebrew letter associated with the star. And, uh, and we have Tzadi, for those of us who don't ascribe to the Thelemic system of Hebrew letter correspondences. So do you just want to say some words about hey before? And then I'll do Tzadi. Yeah. Hey having the meaning of window and the simple letter meaning of sight. I mean, that's very poetic when you think about the idea of looking out a window at a, with your eyes, with sight, at a beautiful field of stars and, and all possibilities. All right. So as far as the Tzadi Hebrew letter, you know, it's associated with fish hook. Um, but also, you know, that is just one of its meanings. Uh, the other meanings definitely have something to do with hunting and capturing and trapping. So th there's a, a sense of reaching out for something greater. Than and yourself. I like, I also like the, you know, the simple letter meaning of 
imagination as also appropriate for for Zadi for the yes. star. And that visionary quality of Aquarius. And his visionary that. sight and there's visionary imagination. I mean, both of either them. way, it both fits. Both of them. Exactly. They're both metaphors for, for the same thing. And, you know, and Sadi is a letter that really is intimately tied with the idea of the tzaddik, the righteous person, partly because <laughs> I think it kind of came because people would say, you know, Tsadikov Reshin Tav, at the end of the alphabet, Tsadi plus Kof, you know, that first sign would combine to make Tsadik. And, you know, and the Tsadik was thought to be this righteous person who was free of all material temptations, you know, which is a very, you know, star-like notion. The idea mm. that there is a un compromised, unpolluted connection with the divine, with the tzaddik. And also, I think of that hook imagery as being very fundamental to the myth of Inanna, which will, or Astarte, which we can mm, talk about later. Yeah. yeah. All right. So paths, I guess we should do now. Yeah, let's talk. Because we didn't really paths. cover those. Yeah. Yeah. So you talk about the Chokmah to Tiferet. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I really like that the idea of the star card being connected to the sun, you know, to ferret the sun, because mm -hmm. the star is indeed just another sun or the sun is indeed just another star. Mm -hmm. So I kind of like the idea of, the, you know, that connection between one's sun or center and the supernal triad. Yeah. Yeah, and you've also talked about it as bringing a feminine presence into that part of the tree. Yeah, yeah, and 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 also the idea of you know hay mm -hmm. as being ba bringing balance to the divine name, the yod hay vav hay. Mm -hmm. it, it makes it too masculine and too feminine letters, mm -hmm. which feels a lot more balanced. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the uh, as far as the netzak to yesod path. You know, we talked a little bit about the tzaddik, who is free of material temptations, and the idea of tzaddi as a letter that has to do with hunting, capturing, like the fish hook. Sometimes it's thought of as a bird trap, actually, which is also interesting. There's a couple of different things I think about when I think of Netzach to Yesod. First of all, Netzach is associated with Venus. And then there's that myth of descent that is so deeply associated with the star card. And there's that path from Netzach to Yesod is always feels to me like a transition between the visible and the invisible, the goddess appearing and disappearing like that. Mm. But also Yesod is associated with the patriarch Joseph. And Joseph, he is the model of the tzaddik, the one who was impervious to temptation, the one who is un, despite exile, incorruptible, you know, spent time in exile, which is another theme that we see in, in Aquarius-related cards, and yet remained true to the divine. And actually, the term Sadik is known as the foundation of the world, and that's literally Yesod mm. foundation. So yeah. there's another sort of like connection there between Yesod as the foundation and Netzach as eternity or, um, or victory, as it's also known. But also, you know, I really think of the fish hook as being a good metaphor for the way that we strive to capture something that is constantly trying to swim away with our higher consciousness. There's a, a sense of both the righteousness of the good person hunting to be 
better and also the hunting of evil by the divine and routing it out it's a very abrahamic thing but there's sort of these two sides to hunting that that occur anyway that's a little bit more <laughs> divigation e- either way whether you think of zadi as the star or hey as the star i find it a good test for the mind to argue both sides of it to try them both on yeah yeah it, it's really good brain exercise to to make your brain that flexible that you can argue either way <laughs> that's right and in both cases there is as you said that visionary quality that ability to see beyond you know both the idea of hunting and the idea of the window relate to it, also the other thing i forgot to mention when we were talking about the paths the other thing that i really like about the path being from teferet to hokma is the idea of hokma as the zodiac which is literally the oh, stars right right right, right. so yes, it's connecting nice. the pa- the 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 sephira of the sun with that of the stars. Yes. So I think that's kind of poetic. That's very poetic, yeah. And they both have this sort of like transition from the pillar of force to the middle pillar. They both share that diagonal path. Yeah, true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just in different places. For more on the sort of hey, Tzadi thing, we do have at least one article on that on the website. So we should probably start talking a little bit about the minors, the Five of Swords, Defeat, the Six of Swords, Science or Earned Success, and the Seven of Swords, Futility or Unstable Effort. These are so interesting. And I think, you know, just like at the center of all of the five, six, and sevens, you know, associated as they are with fixed signs, we see a real turn in the six, you know, a a moment where the fives are trying to get to the six and the sevens are looking back to it in some way. But this is the hinge point of the minors, really, the six. Yep. The Deccan commentators <laughs> are, are, you know, this is a very restless area of, of the sky, I feel, and full of risk, it feels like. For the five of swords, the Picatrix has a man whose head is mutilated and he holds a peacock, whatever that <laughs> means. It's like, okay, whereas Agrippa has a prudent man and a woman spinning. I, I don't really know how those two arose from the same material probably some mm-hmm. influence of of venus in mm. both of those i mean mm-hmm. peacocks peacock thought of as kind of venusian and, and the woman spinning, spinning. Well. yeah 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 they both have that a little bit of that feel you know, to them and, and venus is appropriate as ruler of the deccan yeah and if your head was mutilated you'd want to be prudent too <laughs> <laughs> that, that head mutilation thing, that's that's a reference to Mars, you know, mm-hmm. the five, Gabura. You know, head is very Aries, which is Mars, um, mm. and mutilation is definitely a Mars theme, cutting and mutilating. Well, that's true. We do see it in the seven as well, though, the mutilated head. There's just an obsession with mutilated heads in, in Aquarius. <laughs> I do not know why. But uh, but the significations are the same, basically, you know, kind of. Well, you um, know, the mutilated head could also just be indicative of the the corruption of thought. Mm, you know, the, mm. in both the five and the seven, there's a failure of thinking correctly. Yes, that's true. And another way to think of it is as the mark of Cain, you know, a mark of exile, basically, those who were branded and sent out, you know, to be away from the other tribes, the idea that there's, um, there's something that makes you look different. <laughs> out of the 12, you are different, which is very Aquarian. And One of these things is not like the others. 
you know, and, and that, and there's a struggle that's associated with that. I mean, the five is poverty, labor, misery, baseness. Um, there's, to me, it always feels that like the sequence is a lot like, you know, what the refugee experiences where you find yourself in this very difficult situation, five of swords, where in order to escape it, you're going to have to take a huge risk, which is a theme I find in the five and, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and be possibly be exiled from your homeland. And the journey to do that, to solve your big problem is something that we see in the six followed by the seven of, you know, really having to hustle to make yourself survive in the new place. Mm. That's why I think the six, even though it is such a, a wonderfully uh, resourceful card, you know, it's a card that I know I love and you love both. There's also a little bit of a, dangerous feeling to it you know it's sort of like in theory this should work <laughs> because it's the card of science it's like trusting your yeah, knowledge like getting on getting onto a rocket ship or <laughs> yes yes, yes. you know it's gonna work right it's like when you're flying a plane and it's totally foggy and your instruments tell you that you're fine and you're not going to crash but you got to trust them without any kind of, you know, visual confirmation. The commentators have it as a man who looks like a king or a man with a long beard goes to show you what they thought a king looked like. (laughs) (laughs) Permits much to himself and, and abhors what he sees. Beauty, position, having what is desired. You were talking about desire before. Detriment, modesty, liberty, good manners. It's a really weird combination of stuff. Which mm. is also true of, I found, of Aquarius. <laughs> yeah. Well, they do permit much to themselves. And it's sort of like, you know, and there's... others, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about Jupiter as being generous, but there's a freedom of Aquarius, you know, a sort of like free to be you and me quality about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Y- you do you. and Yeah, liberty's in there, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that's often true that... Those who are willing to sort of let others do their crazy shit come across as having really good manners because, you know, it just feels like you're in a civilized place where it's okay to just do what you're going to do. Yeah. Be tolerant of others' Mm -hmm. idiosyncrasies. Yeah, there's a there's a privilege in it for sure, but a sense of I'm expansive enough that this doesn't threaten me. Mm. You know? Yeah. And then the seven, there's again, the mutilated head. <laughs> <laughs> and an old woman is with him, which is curious. The Agrippa has a black and angry man black, you know, I mean, it's a collar of Saturn, right? You know, I don't know exactly what they meant by that, what they were trying to get across. Uh, I think the idea is just that this is a, this is an outsider in some way, you know, it conveys insolence, impudence, Accomplishing of will and giving of offense. I love that sort of phrase. (laughs) Both of us as Aquarian moons can sort of uh, relate to that accomplishing of will and giving of offense. (laughs) Yeah. They're usually tied together. (laughs) That feeling of the seven of swords of like having competing agendas, you know, which leads to futility. That feeling of like, I mean, I want to get along with everybody, but I also want to achieve what I came here to do. 
and yeah. that's One very the other. and that to me is like has to do with that double nature of Aquarius the like ability to charm and to make friends but also to just do whatever the hell they want you know <laughs> kind of like tied together in a way so besides the sort of like journey of the refugee which I associated with the Aquarius. I sometimes think of this as like having to do with that moment in the Eden story where you've got Eve being sort of whispered to by the serpent and then mm. making the decision. Um, in theory, this seems like a great idea to eat this apple so I can know shit. You know, that to me is a very six of swords, like Mercury and Aquarius thing. And the seven of swords of like that moment when there's going to be conditions that are that are associated with what you just did. You know, I, I don't know. There's something about it. When I think about the star card, there's that little bird in the tree that's, I think of it as whispering in her ear in the same way as the serpent in a way. And mm. again, it's that idea of the moment in Eden as either being very positive in the sense of the pursuit of knowledge, of wanting to know the thing and satisfy your curiosity, versus being the original sin, you know, which we've kind of talked about in the past, like, is acquiring knowledge the ultimate sin? Or is it the ultimate good for humanity? And that color is our view of who and what the devil really is, I think, which we talked mm. about in Capricorn some. There's, a, there's something about this sequence of cards that I just love, I just keep coming back to because they're so interesting. There's so much of that attempt to solve a problem and to get around the issues of life. The other thing is that like in Rider-Waite-Smith, if you look at the two through 10, one thing I've noticed is that like literally everybody's eyes, you either can't see them or they're closed except for the five. The five sees something that he wants. Yeah. <laughs> Venus, Mercury, Moon, anything to say about that so sequence? Mm. I mean, they are the sort of like fastest yeah. Yeah. moving, so... It's, they definitely fit their cards, you know, Mercury and science. How much more perfect can you get there? You know, the mind mm -hmm. and its uh, accomplishment um, and innovations. And then, you know, the, we have Venus as mm -hmm. bo both Venus and the moon as in these placements, at least being kind of unstable. Yeah, I mean, and also Venus as the desire part of it, the allure of the possible, the, you know, the, the Inanna's bad idea to go take Arishkigal's territory. Yeah, know? it didn't work out so well. <laughs> it didn't work out so well. You know, and I think the moon as I think of the high priestess in this context, you know, there's five cards of the moon, and I'm not going to go through them in my head right now. But, but often that that central path kind of feels to me like there's one way out of this, you know, there's, you have to be resourceful, and you have to be flexible. And there's one way to do this. Yeah, um, you know, right, I mean, sort of like with the Orpheus and Eurydice myth, okay, you can have this thing, but this is how you're going to do it, <laughs> you know? I yeah, actually... you have to use your uh, your most clever part of your brain to come up with a way to make this work. Exactly, exactly. And I actually use the five, six, and seven also in the story of Orpheus and Eurydice as that moment where he makes the deal with Hades and Persephone. The six of swords would be like starting the journey out of the underworld, and the seven is like, 
don't look back. <laughs> you know, yeah, there's a part of you that really wants to look, but just keep looking. It's those competing agendas, the divided mind of the Seven of Swords, <laughs> which, um, which of course we all know how that ended. Very Ten of Swords. Talking about Saturn a little bit, and in Aquarius, Agrippa has a working that you can do in the third phase of Aquarius with Saturn ascending and in the hour of Saturn. And it says, you know, you want to make an image of an old man sitting on a high chair. Um, hands a high chair a, like a baby's yeah. high chair? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. I think like a, a throne that's high up so you can see yeah. things, you know, like Aquarius. Hands lifted above his head, holding a fish, which is, you know, Pisces, or a sickle, which is Saturn. Under his feet, there's a bunch of grapes, head and body covered with black cloth, garments, etc. And that is supposed to be a talisman against kidney diseases or kidney stones, because as we know from 777, Aquarius is associated with diuretics. So that's a thing you can kidneys do. kidneys as Libra, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, go figure. Myths? We should talk some myths. I mean, we've. I guess the obvious one to talk about would be Ganymede. Yep. So most people probably know, but Ganymede was um, the beautiful young man who was um, selected to be Zeus's cupbearer, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> he was the son of Tros, who is sort of like also known as Ilion, the progenitor of Troy, who had like, I think, three sons. One of them went on to found the whole line that got involved in the Trojan War and great grandparent of um, Aeneas and all of that. But Ganymede was so beautiful that Zeus fell in love with him. And Zeus comes down as an eagle, right? Yeah. Brings him Eagle's up. another Aquarian um Oh, right. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, birds of prey. All, all large birds of prey, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and he becomes the cupbearer to the gods. Yeah, and I think there's also, you know, something about those two cups pouring on land and sea. There are themes of, like, just the way we've talked about exile being a theme. Abduction is also a theme that mm. we see. Or being removed from your proper place, your homeland. We've talked a lot about the Inanna myth, of course. But a couple of other points about the Inanna myth, which are kind of interesting, is that she is, of course, associated with the uh, eight-pointed star, star of Inanna, uh, which we see on star cards often. Not only does she go down to the underworld and, you know, lose all her garments. There's a myth of seven in there, Venus, where, you know, there are the seven gates of the underworld and the seven guardians of the underworld who require her to remove all of her raiment. Yes. Um, that theme of nakedness is something that people feeling exposed and vulnerable is is a theme that we see here, also in the Eden myth. And then, of course, when she goes down to see Arish Kigal. Uh, Arish Kigal kills her and hangs her on a meat hook. So there's that hook thing. But also, there's another way that that symbol of the hook is associated with Inanna. In cuneiform, her symbol was a hook-shaped knot of reeds. So that is this this knot that used the to afterlife, hang. afterlife, the reeds. Yes, and it was also something that normally stood... Uh, or was hung outside the door of the storehouse um, where you keep the food. So, you know, that is part of her association with renewal and fertility, you know, of being associated with all of the good things and the sustenance for the for the future. 
I think I read that like Inanna is the goddess that has the most myths about her, as well as being conflated and syncretized with all of the others, you know, Astarte Mm -hmm. and Ishtar, all of that. So many of these uh, goddesses that you could associate with this card for sure, all kind of conflating with each other at some point or another. Totally. There has to be some journey of the goddess into the dark place, wherever you And then go. there's also the, the Egyptian Nut, mm-hmm. the night sky goddess that, you know, literally was the mother of all. She, you know, the sun itself was born through her as uh, during the night as it passed through right. her body in, in a milky way and, you know, was reborn at dawn. So there's always been these themes of birth, death and rebirth associated with the, with mm-hmm. the star goddesses. Yeah, I'm just thinking about also like Frodo in the in the lair of Shalob, the spider breaking out, you know, the star glass of Galadriel trying to find his way out of or, dark or places. Or that scene where they're, I don't know, on the side of the mountain under the uh, yeah. Sauron or whatever. And, and um, Sam wakes up and sees the star briefly yes, through yes. the clouds, even that's though he's right. in the middle of hell. Yeah. And that's that's an interesting thing because that's glossed over sometimes when we talk about the star as hope. You know, hope is all well and good. It's a very positive, light concept. But it seems optional until you're in a really, really bad place, you know. And then it becomes the one essential thing that gets you out of there. Like in uh, Dante's Inferno, after the tower moment, he sees the night sky. Mm. I I wanted to talk about Fomalhaut, even though it's technically in Pisces, you know, because it's... Yeah, well, why don't we um, talk about that in um, association with... Because we just haven't really done the astronomy part of it. That's what I mean. Yeah, we should talk about astronomy. cover that there, I guess. Yeah, let's do that now. Okay. Um, oh, you were talking about this is something that's sort of astronomically related, I guess, is the that Leo Aquarius axis and how important Aquarius is archetypally there because it, it was associated with the flooding of the Nile, the full moon in Aquarius during the sun's passage through Leo. So that was this sort of you know moment in the beginning of the year for for ancient Egypt that brought renewal back to the land. And that was a Aquarian in the sense that the moon would have had to be in, in Aquarius to be a full moon. The original constellation was not only, I mean, we think of it as the man or the angel pouring water from a jug, but in a lot of the um, original illustrations, he's carrying the jug in one hand and pouring water out. And in the other hand, he's carrying this rod. And I guess this was oh, a uh, yeah. a measuring rod to measure the height of the, the waters of the Nile. Yeah, his, uh, his cosmic dipstick. <laughs> <laughs> and as to Fomalhaut being in the mouth of the southern fish, I guess. Um, three degrees, yeah, so it's Pisces. one of the watcher stars, which all the yeah. rest of them are associated with the fixed signs, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, Aquarius is a fixed sign, but the uh, actual star, the uh, watcher of the south, is mm-hmm. actually right in the mouth of the southern fish where Aquarius is pouring the waters down into Pisces. Right. And, you know, I mean, there's an argument with procession that it was closer to Aquarius at one time, but it is part of that Pisces constellation. And it's said to be Mercurial and Venusian, maybe with some Neptune in in nature. 
I'm not really sure where that comes from, but it is associated with kind of poets and mystics, artists, yeah, visionaries. Yeah, poets and mystics and creatives and... Um, spiritual, you know, in nature. Yeah, yeah. Uh, spiritual charisma, um, mm-hmm. things like that. Magicians, too, um, to some degree. Yeah. yeah. And I think we talked about this before in the last time we talked about fixed stars, but like all fixed stars, it confers great something, but also can be very malefic in nature. So, you know, I think... Yeah, I mean, the, like, it not only gives this ability for being a poet or a mystic or some sort of creative spiritual ability and charisma, but its downfall is really seeking after the charisma and the fame and you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. the desire of that leads to a bad result. You right. You have that as long as you don't, you abuse, you abuse it with putting too much uh, emphasis on, on having to have that. For sure. Straying away from the path of the, you know, of the righteous, which is hard, I think, because, I mean, you hear about this all the time with spiritually inspirational leaders that they, fall in some way yeah. or another because they're given these they succumb to their own myth exactly we, we we did mention that that area of the sky is known as the sea mm-hmm. but it's really like can in aquarius sense it can be said that it's disseminating the waters of consciousness in a mm-hmm. sense uh yeah. also um the stars in that area there's it, there's an abundance of stars in that area it's a really like it's Mm -hmm. not easy really to see the constellation because the area of the sky is so bright with stars which Mm. is fitting for the stars Mm -hmm. card the uh most uh interesting stars in the constellation are twin stars and there's two nebulas there's a lot of double stars in the area which is interesting oh that Uh, is interesting the uh the helix nebula the planetary nebula and then there's the twin stars of the left and right shoulder of the figure uh Sadal Sad and Sadal Melek Sadal I'm not, I'm probably pronouncing them wrong but Sadal Melek means luck of the king that makes and, sense and uh Sadal Sad means the luckiest of the lucky mm. so obviously both yeah. mostly lucky stars although with all the fixed star stuff there's always something there's terrible always something. mixed in there <laughs> <laughs> for correspondences this is kind of like when we remember we have to do courts um, because oh, yeah. of doing the geomancy and the uh, and the I Ching. Oh so yeah. What is it? The Knight of Knight or Prince of Swords? Yeah, Air of Air, Mister Air, Air of Air. <laughs> Which you know, I mean, we don't need to say too much about it, really. I guess other than to say that you know, uh, there's that theme of winners and losers, uh, success and one one uh, one version of. The Lord of Science is the Lord of Earned Success, right? So you have defeat and success. Yep. And um, so there's that, you know, real love of the extremes of combat with that sign. Um, sort of like mental you see. Mental combat, yeah. Mental combat, exactly. In the, the same creation way that and destruction of ideas. The Prince of Cups we saw really loved those emotional extremes. And, you know, and, and princes or knights are like that. They kind of go to the extremes of five and six. Yep. You know, despite coming from the stagnation of the four of discs or uh, pentacles. And then the final decan belongs to the king or knight of cups. There is a passivity about the seven of swords sometimes that can be a shadow of the king of cups in his, when he falls away from his spiritual mastery. 
Okay, so uh, the hexagram, hexagram 57, shun, that's X-U-N, shun, uh, air of air. Penetrating or gentle wind, is that what you have? Yeah, uh, wind gently penetrating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that sounds like an oxymoron. But yeah. Well, it's like the ability of wind to gradually, slowly over eons to wear down a mountain, you know, the power oh, yeah. of, of thought over time to actually have change. Yeah. Yeah. Or the power of your argumentative son to just wear you down after four hours. (laughs) The gradual influence on others. In this case, you. (laughs) In this case, you. You've seen the meaning of calculation. It's a a constancy of ideas, which sounds like a very fixed air sign thing. Very much so. And then the geomantic figure is Tristitia, which is not a particularly favorable one. It's the opposite of Laetitia, joy, which we're going to see in the next one. Yeah, sadness. So it's sadness. It's well, which it ha- it's Saturn. So yeah, you know, it's, it's sorrow, Saturn. Illness. So it's got that that heavy uh, kind of somberness. Its image is like a stake pounded into the ground, which mm. sounds very <laughs> very Saturn. <laughs> so I mean, yeah. obviously, being sadness, it's not the greatest omen, but it's. Because it's Saturn, it does have some good uh, uses for things that require stability. Exactly. Yeah, it says unfavorable except for, yeah, building things um, or Earth, which sounds more Capricornian, but I guess because it's Saturn. Yeah. Uh, Magical weapons and powers. Oh, Oh, uh, astrology. Yeah, the magical power astrology. Perfect, right? (laughs) Right, right. We already talked about how many Aquarians are into astrology, so that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I probably didn't have to reach too hard for that one. (laughs) Now, the censor, it says in 777, the censor or Aspergillus, but I actually think that's a typo. I think it should be Aspergillum. I think it's Aspergillum, too. Because, you know, one is a mold spore and the other one is a a (laughs) thing to sprinkle holy water, which makes a lot more sense. Maybe they didn't know about the mold spore back then. Yeah. Maybe they just, you know, there's a lot of stuff where the language is a little weird. But yeah, uh, but yeah both of them are anyway, sprinkling. Anyway, I think they're referring to the holy devices. water sprinkler, not mm-hmm. the, the mold spore. Yes, and the sensor, of course, you know, allows smoke to perfume yes, the air. Yes, to be distributed through the right. air. Right, so they both have that sort of diffusing quality um, yeah. to them, spreading around. Disseminating mm-hmm. something through the air. Yeah, very magical kind of influencing of the environment. It makes me think of what you were saying about how, you know, people catch ideas as if from nowhere, it's because they're in the air. <laughs> yeah. Galbanum, all diuretics as well. Euphorbium, which I think is a shrub. I don't really know, a, a bushy, thorny shrub. Galbanum, of course, is associated with all air air signs. It, it's that sort of grassy, slightly bitter parts of the body, lower calves. Ankles and mm-hmm. the circulatory system, which ties it to Leo mm-hmm. strongly being the heart and right. the circulation, the veins. And the yeah, circulation. the heart is the center and the and the circulation is the distribution system. Mm-hmm. Yep. Trees, olive, coconut, which is interesting, I guess, because it has the water <laughs> Sometimes inside Sometimes you feel like a nut. <laughs> Sometimes you don't. <laughs> <laughs> Tall trees. For stones, it's interesting, like, yeah. I've seen blue sapphire, which is a Saturn, to me, is a Saturn mm-hmm. stone. So, okay, that makes sense. Black pearl, likewise, I mean, I okay, I guess, because black Saturn. I but saw also seven, glass. Seven, seven, the stone is yeah. listed as artificial glass, which yeah. that's really interesting uh, for 
Aquarius. Yes, something I guess that's like a, made, you know, mm-hmm. a, a lab created thing. Yeah, uh, artificial glass. There's a really or... beautiful artificial glass that's often sold as a gemstone, sort of, which is really? called opaline. Have you ever seen that one? No, I have not. It's really beautiful. It looks like mm-hmm. kind of like it's kind of moonstone ish. It's got mm-hmm. a like kind of a rainbow kind of milky Ooh, iridescence to it. That seems Aquarian to me. Glass and, and quartz and crystal, all clear stones also. Chalcedony I've seen as well. Aquamarine and amethyst uh, mm-hmm. I've seen as well mm-hmm. as being Aquarian kind of. Um, yeah, having those fun. colors which are, you know, in a way sort of Jupiterian. But oh, you yeah, see we that. didn't do the colors. Yeah. Oh, right. Colors. Yeah. Uh, right. So the, um, the color, the king scale is is violet. And then we've got sky blue for the queen scale, which I I really think of the sky blue as being a really Aquarian color. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for and sure. then the uh, bluish mauve mm-hmm. for the prince scale, and then the princess scale, which is I think is perfect, which is white tinged purple, which is yeah. kind of like the color of starlight, if you ask me. Yeah, interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but I see what you mean. They are colors that if they were darker, I would think of them as being Jupiter colors, you know? But, yeah. Think of yeah. Aquarius colors, like, beside the the um, Golden Dawn scale, I think of the color of Aquarius as being, like, either a bright turquoise, like, electric blue, mm-hmm. or a cobalt, mm-hmm. like a cobalt blue, really bright and electric, like, almost neon blue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Neon yeah, yeah. colors in general seem very Aquarian. They seem too. very Aquarian, I would agree. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Sweet tastes, I think Picatrix, or Agrippa rather, has. Places with flowing water. The sea. Places where wine is sold. <laughs> <laughs> that seems more Pisces to me. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know. But Ganymede, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. I, oh, and for other flora that I didn't mention before, the fur, the skullcap, and the moss... And the dracunculus. Uh, orchids and uh, that makes elderberries sense. I saw, which I thought was yeah, cool. Yeah, a lot of purple themes going on here. Um, the man, the eagle, the peacock. Your father smelt of elderberries. <laughs> <laughs> I saw, uh, I think it's Agrippa who says ugly animals. Because it's interesting. I don't know why. I've seen Aquarius associated both with the very ugly and the very beautiful. Maybe it's the outcast thing. (laughs) Okay, so themes of Aquarius. Uh, We've had these sort of like outre and eccentric out there qualities. Visionary, straddling the line between convention and unconvention, form and reform. Yeah, uh, looking at the inside from the outside, reforming society and community. The contrast between the real and the ideal. People versus humanity. (laughs) (laughs) Fixed air, the willingness to be super different. The myths of the goddesses. Freedom. The descent, the window and the fish hook. Change in the established order. Progression, but built on tradition. Risk and exile. Problem solving and, you know, negotiating with the rules. Abduction, journeys, the righteous, the righteous man, the tzaddik. Oh, the, and the sort of relationship between the sea and sky, the waters of the sky. Right, the waters of knowledge, the waters of consciousness. The waters of being a know-it-all. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know, yeah. 
So I think we're done with Aquarius. And thank you for traveling to the farthest reaches of space, to infinity and beyond with us. Uh, We will be back next time with the sign of Pisces, the last in our series. And that's our show for today. You can find us at www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse, where you'll also find new episode announcements and loads of extra articles and visuals, which will help you follow along with the show. If you appreciate what Mel and I have done here at fortunes wheelhouse, please consider leaving us a five-star reviewer rating on iTunes, Apple podcasts, or Google play. And if you'd like to support the making of this podcast and gain access to all the member perks that come with that, please consider becoming a patron at any level you like by visiting www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. You can also explore fortunes wheelhouse gear like t-shirts, tote bags, coffee mugs, and more by checking out our red bubble shop. That's at www.redbubble.com slash people slash wheelhouse 93 slash shop. Mel's beautiful books, decks, and prints can be found at tarotcart.com. And my book, Tarot Cases, Astrological Perfumes, and Online Tarot Class can be found at tsusanchang.com. Treat yourself to the tarot gift you've always wanted, because you are a hero of the astral plane, and we so appreciate your support. <laughs>